This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in their respective studios uh, by Evan Grant. Oh, hello, Kevin. Hello. Uh, yeah, that whole delay saying hello thing is so old. I mean, what, I, what, what, actually, I, this time I was distracted. I was writing something down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's move on to the more mature elements of the, of the uh, podcast. And, and David Moore. Hi, David. Whatever. <laughs> well, I take that back then, okay? Uh, about the mature part, anyway. Um, so, anyway, we had a little uh, something over the weekend. We had the draft, uh, which was a nice diversion from uh, all of the uh, dullness of sports these days, uh, unless you're following simulated sports, which I refuse to follow. Simulated sports. Unbelievable. You're such a uh, purist. Yeah, yeah. I got you know. Just to me, the idea that maybe something is real uh, is a little bit better than something that's fake. But anyway, Gallo play MLB the Show on ESPN this weekend. No, I did not want to watch that either. You know, did did our uh, esports writer write about Joey playing? No, I think he's because uh, I, I think their leagues are still like operating. Oh, is that right? Okay. I've written a couple things about Joey playing the, the MLB the show. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. I noticed that. I, I didn't I, read them, but I, I did notice it. Uh, yeah, it, it, long story. Um, anyway, I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about when I talk to him about it. And, yeah, well, good for you. But that's usually the case anyway. What we liked, the one thing that uh, my sons and I liked was when Joey complained about the pictures that they used for him, uh, which were pretty ludicrous, one of which it, it, his action photo is clearly a, he has swung and missed at a pitch. And then his, his shot of just his face, which, you know, you get a nice picture of somebody's face, right? He looks like, you know, he's, got, he's constipated. It's, uh, it's really, really stupid looking. And he complained vociferously about it, too. He did so not like it. We also put Joey on the cover of the, I believe, second and final edition of Sports Day, the magazine. Um, and the picture uh, on the cover was him covering his face for some reason. So, Really? Oh, yeah. How come I missed that? I don't I'm know. a subscriber. How did I miss that? I don't know, Kevin. That's terrible. All right, anyway, let's go. Let's talk about the draft. All right, so let's see. I, I, you know, I know the reason why Evan wanted to talk about what was going to happen in the first round is because Evan was the guy who said in the first round, who did you say they were going to take, Evan? I didn't – well, I, I, all I said is I, – I mean, I just proposed this idea to you that what would happen if he was if, – if Jerry was faced with the possibility of Lamb and Chase on both being there. And I had no idea 
no suspicion that he would actually get to that that spot. But I think when he did get to that spot, I think everybody was there anybody who expected that he would go chase on over Lamb in, in that situation? You know, I did. I I, I thought when it, when it came down to it, I'm watching it with my son and my youngest son, and he said, oh, they'll, they're going to take Lamb. And I said, no, I don't think so. I think they're going to take Chasen. I think they'll, they'll go with the defensive end. This is the guy that they wanted all along. Now, what I didn't know was what did their board look like, you know, and I, and I didn't know at the time that CD was their top-rated receiver and their sixth-rated prospect overall. I don't know where that meant Chason was. I don't know if he was eighth. 10th, 15th, you know, I, I don't know where he was in their pecking order. David, do you have any idea where he ranked? Well, they had 19 first-round grades, mm -hmm. and I was told if Lamb had not have been there and uh, A.J. Terrell, the Clemson cornerback who was taking the spot before by Atlanta, if he would have been there, that the conversation would have been between Terrell and Chason, and you could really flip a coin on who they were going to go for. So that, again, that tells me that they weren't particularly wedded to chase on there. Uh, if it had been Terrell and chase on, they would have discussed, okay, what corner is most feasible to be available in the second round versus a pass rusher, an edge rusher. Uh, is that discrepancy enough to where that's the tiebreaker and you go cornerback position over pass rushing tight end? My belief is in that scenario, too, with Terrell there, I, I kind of believe they would have leaned toward Terrell because, you know, their models showed only a 1% chance of Diggs getting to them at number 51. And if you're operating on those models at that point, you would probably say, well, okay, we, you know, if we don't take a corner here, we're not going to get the corner we want in the second round. And now you're dropping down to the third. And that's just too big of a drop, especially since this this is where we need a walk-in starter. So um, my belief, Chason was one of their first-round grades. I get the impression he was in the, uh, like, 12 to, to 15 range in there. Uh, versus, he certainly was not six. And that's uh, – going back to what everyone's talking about, it's interesting because it, the Cowboys made a point of this. They never, ever discussed – a mock draft scenario. They do go through every scenario they believe is feasible because you want to have some discussion about it leading up to when you're on the clock. And every scenario they went through, they never had Lamb available at number 17 because in their, in their minds, on their board, he was the first wide receiver and he wasn't going to get, he wasn't going to get past. I know people say, well, you didn't even see him on mocks at 12, so it was reasonable to expect uh, but they had him on their board at six, and they felt he was going to go, you know, certainly before 14, 15 in that range. They, I, I don't think they or most people felt he would get past San Francisco. So, you know, when that happened, then suddenly uh, they were faced with a, a decision that they didn't have to make. I mean, they didn't think they were going to make. And, uh, you know, I was struck because um, – I was part of like the ticket and we were talking about it on the clock and, and we went around and it was like, okay, right now on the clock, you know, do you take lamb or do you take chase on? And I tend to be a more methodical thinker. I don't like, I'm not impulsive. And so, you know, I was going well, but look, okay. 
you can still get a good wide receiver later. There's going to be a big drop off at, at pass rushing defensive end. And, but, but I came from it from the perspective of they needed a, an edge rusher more than they needed a receiver. But what I didn't take into account and what you should always take into account is when there's that large of a discrepancy in how you judge someone from a talent perspective, don't make it too difficult. Don't say, don't start making the argument from the position of need. Just look at the player, look at the board and go, what are we even discussing here? And I think that's what, that's what the Cowboys did. And, and if people who want to know what, Mike McCarthy's influence in this draft was that that might be a good place to look because Jerry told a story about how after they went through all of their mocks um, on Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon for the final time um, and and it was like Jerry and Steve were like okay does everyone feel good about this we're all on the same board and and he said Mike McCarthy said yeah but let me ask you this if Lamb or some other player up at the top that we're not suspecting is going to fall to us, we're going to tear this plan up, right? And Jerry went, oh, well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and McCarthy said he first started to suspect it was going to happen when, when, uh, when Ruggs went to the uh, Las Vegas at 12. Then he started saying, well, Lamb, Lamb or Judy is going to get there. So, and it turned out to be Lamb. That was the surprise to me. I thought that, uh, and and the day before I I wrote about the first round, and I and I thought I wrote about you know the scenario. What if it breaks and it's different, and what does that mean? And and I thought that Rugs would be the guy who would fall uh, because I thought that clearly that just from looking at the mock drafts that Judy was considered the best route runner and maybe the most polished of the three. Lamb certainly a great after the catch and a very dynamic player from that standpoint. And, and Ruggs, an undersized guy, obviously very fast, the fastest of the three. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's classic for the Raiders to take it, but that was a, that was an Al Davis kind of pick, you know, I'm taking the fastest guy, you know, he, he always loved speed. And so that seemed like a pick for him to me. That was the two, two things that dropped CD lamb into the Cowboys laps were when, uh, the Raiders took Rugs, and when Atlanta took uh, Terrell. Uh, and, and I think that those two things are what got C.D. Lamb down. And I think there was always a possibility that one of those three wide receivers was going to fall to the Cowboys because there had been that also that talk about Judy had had uh, some kind of surgical procedure. What was it that he had? Do you, do you yeah, know the that? knee. There's a question about the knee and whether there's yeah. like a tendonitis or a chronic condition there. But, you know, again, it shows you, you know, and, and the Cowboys like to – you couldn't have in-person interviews, but they had their virtual interviews this year. And certainly whoever they take in the first round, they, they like to have, you know, talked to to get a better feel for them. Uh, and it tells you what they thought because they did not talk to C.D. Lamb or Judy, but they did talk to Ruggs. Ruggs yeah. is one of their virtual interviews because in their minds, he's the guy who's most likely to be at us – be there at number 17. Neither Judy or Lamb are, so let's not – you know, use one of our 30 visits on them. Uh, let's do it on rugs. The guy most likely to be there. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that the Falcons decision had a big impact on the Cowboys. I thought the Falcons were going defense all along. Um, I thought that. What, what was the, what were the, the, the mock graphs saying about the Falcons? Cause you're Mr. Atlanta. Chase on was one. Chase on's one. Ken Law, I think. Ken, Ken Law, Chase on. Yeah. But Kinlaw went early. That was a little bit of a surprise. 
Obviously, the Giants taking the Georgia offensive lineman number four was a big surprise. That kind of threw some things, I think. I don't know that it was a big surprise about the Giants. They, they needed, a, I think, the, the tackle that they took. I think they were, they were going to take a tackle. But I don't know which, you know. And I, I know they got panned for that. I think that's a good pick. I mean, you know, everybody always makes fun of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, Eli when he was there. And it's like he's got no offensive line. And for, until they got, uh, you know, Sequoia Barkley, he didn't have any running game either. You know, so they need to rebuild that. I'm sure that Jason Garrett had an impact in that. I'm sure that he told them, hey, we've got to have an offensive tackle. And so I, I didn't have a problem with that. And while we're on that note, just really quick, I want us to take that little side lot because of what the Giants did and what the Eagles did and because of what the what Washington did. Uh, you know, uh, I think the one the one team that did the most damage to the Cowboys in this draft was Washington and merely because they got Chase Young. You know, they they added absolutely. They got the best player of the group, sure. Yeah, and and they, they had and the farthest to go to be competitive too. So. Well, that that's true, and I, and it's, that's so it's not a short term deal on their improvement. But I got to tell you, with the Eagles taking Jalen Hurts in the second round, I thought that was a crazy pick. You know, I I think that Jalen Hurts is uh is a talented guy, and and maybe you know that they they feel like he can be uh you know what the the Saints had and. Uh, and I'm having a senior moment here. Uh, Taysom, uh, Taysom Hill. Yeah, Taysom Hill. It, it, I'm sure they feel like that 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 he can be for them what what he is. But this is a, in the second round. You took a guy who's not going to be on the field for you for sure, uh, unless there's a disaster, right? And, and and maybe you can work him in a few plays here or there, and that that'll be something nice. But but Carson Wentz is a pretty good quarterback when he's healthy and upright. Uh, and the question there was that they they feel like that Wentz is not durable and that he can't play a full 16 games. I, I think it's very convoluted thinking. And to bring that back to the Cowboys, I just felt like if if a player like a Lamb was available, Jerry was not going to be able to. And and I'm maybe I'm oversimplifying here, but he was not going to be able to be drawn away from that. And so I think what you have is if you if you juxtapose the Cowboys to the to the Eagles situation, the Cowboys very easy very clearly went for the best athlete player on the board. The Eagles tried to fit some specific need that they felt like they had into that pick in the second round, and it just it, it, it looks very much like an overthink, right? Well, two two things. I mean, one, um, the the narrative that we just want him to fill the same role that Hill does for New Orleans isn't going to fly in Philadelphia with their fans because you don't use a second round pick on a guy you're saying, oh, we may get you four to six snaps a game. Right. It makes no exactly. sense. Exactly. And so, so one, everyone's going, that's not why you got him. Why did you really get him? How bad is Wentz Hurst? How, how little confidence do you have in him? And wait, if you have that little confidence in him, why did you give him that contract last year? So, I mean, it, it opened up a lot of questions and I think undercuts uh, Wentz even more. And you, you heard that there were questions about him in the locker room last year anyway. Now, whether it was his fault, whether it was prima donna receivers not accepting that they weren't as good as they like to think they were. But, uh, you know, there are some issues going on in that locker room last year. And I, I don't know that the pick of Jalen Hurst does anything to resolve those. Two, what did we say Philadelphia needed more than anything in this draft? 
and 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 this draft played to their strengths. Receiver. receiver. They had to upgrade receiver. Now, who did a better job at receiver in this draft, the Cowboys or Philadelphia? Yeah, that, that's the uh, the issue for me. And I think one other little sideline here. I feel really sorry for Max Dugan, the TCU quarterback, who was a freshman last year, who didn't do a great job, but he's a freshman. Come on, let's give him a little time here. And all I heard during the draft was, I believe Kirk Herbstreit said at one point, or Desmond Howard, one of the two, said, what a horrible, horrible quarterbacking job for TCU last year, and that's why Jalen Rager's numbers weren't very good. It's like, come on, man, let's let's take it easy on these little, these freshman college football players. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jalen Rager is a is a nice player, and they and they and he has a lot of burst, uh, and a, and, a, and a, he's he's very quick, and and I, and he can make a lot of things happen. He'll be an upgrade for the Eagles. There's no question in my mind about that. But you know, would I rather have Jalen Rager? Or would I rather have C.D. Lamb? I'd rather have C.D. Lamb. And to me. You, you don't make picks based on you don't want somebody else to get them. But we remember when the Eagles traded up in front of the Cowboys to take Dallas Goddard at tight end uh, at a time when the Cowboys might have been looking for uh, for him at that point. Uh, and I think that was a good move by the Eagles, and certainly he's been very productive there. And also to David's point about uh, Jalen Hurts in that locker room, the one element about um, – Hurts uh, play uh, is, is from everybody I talked to in Oklahoma. The difference between Hurts and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield and, and and Kyler Murray were guys who processed things very quickly, went through their reads very quickly, good arms, uh, fairly mobile, athletic guys, uh, clearly deserving of being the top picks in the draft. Uh, they they were guys who were ready made to play, and I think for the most part, Baker's had some. Some little bit of problems, and really, frankly, some of the things you, you could have foreseen that maybe he would do because he's a little impetuous at, at quarterback. Kyler had a really good rookie season. Uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't do that. He he doesn't make his reads as quickly. He's not as good at that. Uh, and and uh, I think some of the things that they saw that you saw at Alabama, they tried to correct some of those things at Oklahoma, and they were, weren't really able to do that. He he still does a lot of things well. One of the things he doesn't do well is that he does turn the ball over a lot. You know, he's a really tough runner we talked about Taysom Hill he's not he's really fast you know Jalen is not that fast he is uh he's very powerful runner and and fairly elusive but in the open field he also fumbled the ball a lot but the one thing that everybody liked about him unquestionably and certainly this is one of the things that really intrigued Kirk Herbstreit so much is his leadership uh this is a guy who's won wherever he's been uh, in the locker room, he was very popular. The coaches loved The coaches in Oklahoma absolutely loved him. Uh, the players all loved him. He's a, he's a great guy. He's a winner. Uh, his record says that. Uh, whether, whether he was at Alabama or Oklahoma, all he did was win. Now, you could say that because those are really good teams, and that's true, but he did a tremendous job uh, in both places. So, introduce Seth that into the locker room, where if it's true that uh, the problems that some of the players had uh, – with Carson Wentz if this guy that's the backup now becomes the most popular quarterback what's that going to do to that chemistry in the locker room you know and, and I and I think that's something you have to think about when you draft it's just you know it's not going to be the same scenario in that same situation but with the Packers trading up in the first round to take Jordan Love which was just so crazy to me to do that because Aaron Rodgers is still one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the National Football League and even at 36 years old and, and we've seen that some of these guys are playing into their 40s now. And I think that's certainly possible for him to do that. He, he has said he wanted to do that. 
they needed a lot of things. You know, the, the Packers needed a wide receiver. They need to give him some weapons. And what do they do? They trade up to get his successor in the first round, which is just crazy to me to do that, and especially when you're dealing with someone like uh, Aaron Rodgers, who has a, who's quirky enough as it is and has, has shown, as Mike McCarthy, I think, can, can attest, to be a little difficult to work with at times. So these kind of situations where you introduce these things into a, a locker room, especially at the quarterback position, uh, to draft a guy, it's one thing to draft a quarterback in the fourth or fifth round that, you know, that you're going to bring in. The Cowboys went all the way to the seventh round to bring in a quarterback. Uh, but when you're talking about bringing a guy in the second round or trading up in the first, you're making a statement. Uh, and, and I think that that statement isn't good, just like what we talked about. So I, I think that if you look what the Eagles did in this draft, I think it's counterproductive to what they want to do going forward. I think they got some I think Rager is a good player, but the second round pick was was really questionable in my mind. Uh, Washington got a, a great pass rusher to add to what was already a really good defensive line. Uh, I know that Stephen Jones said that he's glad that they have invested in the offensive line like they have, and he thinks they they've countered that. I don't know that you counter somebody like Chase Young. Uh, this is a guy that people are projecting who could be a double uh, digit sack guy in, in his uh, rookie season. And, and, and the guys who preceded him there at, at, at Ohio State were able to do that, the Bosa brothers. So I think and they and they think that he's certainly at least as good as both of those guys. Yeah. And I think to bring back to your point about chemistry, bringing it back to the Cowboys and, and taking Lamb in the first round, you can go, well, look, you already have 2000 yard receivers. What is that going to do for the chemistry? Look at the temperament of their two 1000 yard receivers. Um, you know, Amari Cooper is not your typical lead receiver from a temperamental standpoint. He's a guy who will have a game of two catches for 15 yards. And when asked after the game, were you upset with your role would say, well, why would I be upset? Because Michael Gallup or Randall Cobb or whoever had X number, we were still able to do this offensively, get these many yards, uh, you know, I don't have to be the lead receiver every time in order for us to be a productive offense. Michael Gallup, even though he's in the second season, is similar that way. He's a very, uh, he's a very modest guy by nature. Now, from what I hear, you know, Kevin, you may have a little better idea on this, but C.D. Lamb is a little bit more of an alpha dog. He has a little bit more of a, a, a an edge or mentality to him. But I, I think this will be from from how it appears and you never know until everyone's in the room together but from how it appears temperamentally this is all going to work because neither Cobb or Gallup appeared to be the sort who would be threatened uh, by bringing in a good receiver or feel the need that what is this going to do to me and my stats so I, I think uh, uh, while we were talking about what hurts and and you know what Philadelphia is dealing with in the locker room I, I think the Cowboys also discussed this and the mental makeup of their receivers and went, you know what, this is, this is not a problem. And I'm just going to, the only thing I want to interject there too, is you, you take the Cowboys situation and inevitably this comes along with a new coach, right? You, you change the, the coaching situation and you get that honeymoon period of, Oh, this is a great guy. We're going to buy into what he does. You've got that with the Cowboys. We're in Philadelphia with Peterson now, and despite the fact that this is the guy who's taken them to a Super Bowl win, you've had some things go wrong the last couple of years, and so you are going to be battling that that whole kind of um, 
continued potential erosion of the coaching staff's uh, credibility w- with the roster. Yeah, and I think though that's that's the issue for me. Is that yeah, Doug Peterson's on some thin ice. Even even having won a Super Bowl, he is. So so you draft a quarterback in the second round. I mean, yeah. that, there's that's there's no way that there's no way that he'll be he's ready to go. Uh, that Jalen Hurts is ready to be the everyday quarterback. This is a guy who needs probably two or three years in the league before he before he's ready for that role. I believe. I I almost I know that the situations are a little bit different but I'd almost compare it to another Jalen, right? The Cowboys drafted Jalen Smith in the second round a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. knowing he was going to miss the first year, but he was a pick that they expected to, to be successful down the road. But there was a lot of criticism at that point in time because they used a second round pick on a guy that they knew wasn't going to be able to impact their team. And here are the Eagles pretty much doing the same thing. Yeah, I think they are. Well, uh, I, I'm trying to remember what David had, David had brought up a point before Evan interrupted, and now I forgot what I was going to say. But anyway, we'll move on. Uh, so, uh, if, oh, I was going to say about even about the thing about CD Lamb that was striking to me, uh, David. To your point, he that is correct. He he is an alpha dog, but he's a very likable kid, uh, very popular on the team. Not a not a grading personality at all. Very very popular. Very uh, a lot of energy, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's interesting to me because we know now that, that after the 2021 season, the Cowboys can uh, can let uh, uh, Amari Cooper walk, uh, and if, with not a it's not a bad uh, dead cap hit at that point. Do you think let's let's say this doesn't work out and there's there's not room for all three of those guys uh, after two years? Do you think that they would be uh, ready to do that if CD worked out? Well, that's the whole point. You address it in two years. I mean, this yeah. is your this is your receiving nucleus for 20 and 21. At the end of the 21 season, um, your guaranteed money on Amari Cooper has evaporated. So you would either redo his contract at a lower number, you would assume, or you would cut him. Now, again, I, I don't think it's going to come to that. Uh, but... Uh, you have financial lot because the other thing at the end of 2021 is Michael Gallup's going to be a free agent. So you're going to have to make the decision where you're going to invest your money. But by at that point, you will have seen uh, Lamb for two years. You'll have seen Cooper for two more years. You can judge where he is and you can get a better feel for, okay, um, let's say we let Cooper go. Now can, you, to me, the issue before with with Cooper and Gallup projecting forward was uh and and you had to you had to address it this year because Cooper was a free agent so I mean he could have signed elsewhere sure and uh then Gallup would have been your lead receiver the question I don't know that that you've had enough time to determine is can Michael Gallup be a lead receiver now he was outstanding last year um and you really like him, but there are a lot of receivers who are second receivers who once they move over one spot and they're the main guy, they just can't produce at the same level because of the increased defensive attention. And a lot of, a lot of Gallup's success came because of the attention was placed on Amari Cooper. So I don't know that there was enough, the Cowboys had enough evidence to determine whether or not Gallup could be a lead receiver. Now, so, so again, that impacts your value and how you're going to pay them and, and who you let go. Two years from now, let's say they don't want to continue to invest in Cooper. They've seen a decline in his play or think 
or think what he's making is too much for what he provides, now you will, one, you'll have had a chance to determine whether or not Gallup can be a lead receiver, or two, you may say, well, he doesn't need to be a lead receiver because C.D. Lamb can be a lead receiver and Gallup can continue his role in a complementary role and, and we'll just keep going that way. So um, this will all sort out in two years. My thing is just, just enjoy these next two years and see what this group can do because I think it's going to be, um, you know, last, and look, I think C.D. Lamb's going to have an impact but let's put it into some sort of statistical perspective. Randall Cobb had more than 800 yards receiving last year. Um, and you had two 1,000 yard receivers. So those guys combined got you right at 3,000 yards receiving, or just a little bit under, not much under, just a little bit under. Um, these three, I don't know that they're gonna give you any more. Now that doesn't mean that Lamb's not going to be better than Cobb, but statistically, I, I don't think the numbers are going to be that different. I will say that, and I, and I don't know where, uh, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't know where Amari ranked uh, yards after catch. I know uh, I've always been very impressed. That was the thing I didn't know about him. Uh, his toughness. Pretty high yards after catch. It is. Well, his toughness running with the ball after the catch, after, after getting hit, uh, is re really remarkable for a wide receiver, I think. But I will say this. That's what CD brings is the, is the play after the catch. Now, it's going to be different than the National Football League. But, you know, I was in the Cotton Bowl the day against Texas when the five guys had him bottled up, and somehow he got past all five of them. Now, maybe that says something more about Texas, you know, tackling ability than it does about his running ability. But he did that kind of thing all the time, you know. And when you watch him, it's not even like, oh, oh, my gosh, look how fast he is. Look how, you know, it's not like he's turning on a dime and, and blowing past guys. He just He's just able to get past them. He's very – it kind of has a uh, one of I saw one of his coaches say something along the lines of it's like he has a sixth sense you know he, you know he his presence on the field and and where he needs to get to he seems just to understand that instinctively uh, so I think that he's going to be a very exciting player for for Cowboys fans to watch I, I just think he's going to bring an elusiveness downfield that after he catches the ball watch what happens now yeah I I, I, I Honestly, and, and I didn't look at this from a draft standpoint, but just going into the draft based on the football that I had watched last year, and, and you know, I know it's a very superficial analysis, but I felt like Lamb was the best. I, I also felt like Lamb was the best receiver of the bunch, and, and I felt like I had seen a lot of Judy and a lot of Ruggs, but I just, because of how dynamic Lamb is after the catch, and because of the athleticism, I, I and I don't want to just I don't want to sit here and downplay his hands. I think they're pretty good. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I, I just thought he was he was the best receiver of the bunch. I not that I'm a draft expert or anything, but to me, the two the two biggest values picks of the first round were Derek Brown of Auburn. Um, to where he fell to Carolina, and C.D. Lamb going to the Cowboys. So, and then I, I think if, if we move on here, I think we just say we we see that universally the Cowboys pretty much got A's for this draft. Now you don't win Super Bowls on draft days, but I think that both from a from a perspective of need and just athleticism, I think we'd all agree that the Cowboys. It, it looked like this team did a really good job of filling, filling its 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 uh, 
it's a lot of players. David, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Uh, the guys, uh, you know, in the later parts of the draft, I thought Trayvon Diggs, that was obviously just like the first round, a case of a guy falling to you that you, you didn't really expect that to happen. Um, I think that was a big pickup for them. But, but, but real briefly, I want to talk about the guy that intrigues me the most is Bradley and I, uh, who they got in the fifth round. Um, that, that was a guy that the Cowboys had. They had him in their top. 90 didn't they somewhere around there yeah they had him around certainly uh a round and a half basically ahead of where he was taken yeah uh so you know and i know that john owning you know our, our film studies major he's he uh says that you should never uh take a defensive end uh who uh who even if he has high production if the numbers uh if his uh if his combine numbers aren't good, you know, if he's, if he's not fast, he's not this, he's not that. I don't know. That was certainly talked about with him that, that he ran, I believe a four nine at the combine. And, uh, and then when in his pro days, he ran in a four, seven, four, eight range. Uh, of course that that's always such a crazy thing to me when we talk about defensive ends, if he's chasing a guy 40 yards down the field, they're in real trouble. Uh, well, the other one, yeah. I mean, it's look, he, he was undersized for a pass rusher in a four, three, and a slow 40 time. So, yeah. so, so that's why he dropped. And I think most project him more as a, as a guy in a 3-4. Uh, but again, if you're in a 3-4, you can't be running four nines. You know? right. So, uh, and, and he did, uh, he came back and he ran like a 4-7-8 and a 4-7-6 like seven, six or something in two verified times in his pro day, which, which is a little more reflective. But, but the other thing is, I mean, you're right. And this gets back to, you know, why was Travis Frederick available for the Cowboys at the end of the first round, you know, back in 2013, whenever it was? Well, it's because he had a slow 40 time. And my point on that was, already, how often do you see a, a center sprint 40 yards upfield? And what does that tell you about his ability to play the position? Right. It does not. I mean, you factor that in, but factor in where he really works look at those times look at the cones you know the 10 yard cone splits and that sort of thing and when you look at the cone split numbers and some of the other numbers uh on an eye they're pretty good i mean they're they're not he he was he was toward the bottom as far as speed as measure but then you when you get in the cone drills he was up in the in the top 40 percent uh so to me that's that's more indicative uh you know, I, I think the 40 does get to burst and power, you know, exploding out of your stance to get there. Um, but you can make that up very quickly. And, and again, how often are you just sprinting 40 yards unencumbered? So yeah, a 40 yard dash tells you about an offensive lineman ever. Um, yeah. But I think I, they're very, uh, it, that's what you want to know about wide receivers. That's what you want to know about defensive backs uh, sure. and linebackers uh, to sure. guys who are doing a lot of running, going side to side. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to know what a guy's burst is. You know, what they talked about with Anai was the fact that his, his technique was so good. And I, and I wanted to ask you, David, and I know this, I don't know if they ever referenced any of this. I, I uh, either listened to or uh, I read the transcripts from all the press conferences. You know, Dorrance Armstrong is a guy they've talked about that they've, they've liked before. Is do you think that Anai walks in uh, ahead of him in the pecking order, or is he a guy that uh, that has to work to get into that that same range that Armstrong is already? 
Well, new coaching staff, I think this is going to be wide open. I mean, these are, uh, look, both Anai, I mean, Anai is going to be a rotational guy this first year. There's no question. And, right. and, it, and it, he may only play in limited packages because of his size and his speed, and, and it's incumbent on them to figure out how he's used. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, he's going to be competing for time with Dorrance Armstrong and everyone else uh, is a, in a backup defensive lineman. You know, I will say by and large, usually pass rushers or edge rushers that are taken in the fifth round don't give you a whole lot usually. Right. Uh, will, will an eye be different? Will they find a role for him? Um, I think that's what it'll be. I think, I think they're looking to construct a role for him, kind of like a hybrid rusher in certain – uh, maybe dying packages, that sort of thing. My my belief is that's how uh, you'll see him be used in this first year. But but I think, uh, yeah. But you know, this coaching staff is not wedded to Dorrance Armstrong. He was part of another regime. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know that he's on, and he certainly hasn't done enough uh, in his time in the league where the coaching staff has to say, oh no, we we got to keep him in there. Yeah, uh, I, I know everyone says they like him, but when you look at the production, there's nothing that would encourage a new staff coming in to say, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's part of the rotation. You're going to have to beat him out. I think it's, eh, you know, well, let, let's see. Yeah. That, so let's let's look then at the uh, at the draft picks and how many of these guys we think could make an immediate impact. Um, uh, and, I, and I'll uh, I'll let Evan go first here, Evan, if you if you're looking at that draft board. You see C.D. Lamb in the first round, Trayvon Diggs in the second, uh, third round, Reggie Robinson, the cornerback yeah, from Gallimore. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Neville Gallimore, uh, Oklahoma tackle. Um, I want one one quick note about Gallimore. Uh, it was funny before the Texas OU game. I was down in Austin, and Sam Cosme, one of their very fine tackles, uh, said some stuff about Gallimore, one of the other OU linemen that was not very complimentary. Just said that, yeah, he's not so much, you know. And then, and then Gallimore more or less ate his lunch or ate Texas lunch in the Cotton Bowl. Um, he was uh, a, a, a guy that was uh, considered really athletic and really fast. I, I wondered if, the, Dave, if you ever heard anything about any comparisons with, with Malik Collins. Uh, have not. I mean, I think he's a, little, he's a little bigger than Collins was coming in. Um, but, but the same sort of – uh, motor, I think, from from what you say, but but a little bit bigger guy. Yeah, is what I heard. Yeah, that's again, what, yeah. my impression. Yeah. Okay. Listen, Kevin. Uh, to your question, I I don't know how you define impact. Well, they make it. You know, is it going to do more than? Is he going to play on special teams? Is he going to start? Is he going to be a rotational player? Let's let's go with those three things. I mean, or I, nothing, or four things. Nothing at all. Listen, I think you've got, uh, and and I think this is. I think you've got four guys who can make significant impacts this year from, from this draft you, in, in Lamb, Diggs, Gallimore, and Biotic, uh, the, the center from Wisconsin. Um, what did you call him? Biotic. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. Biotic. Okay. Uh, and, and, and granted, I'm not, I'm not very familiar with Reggie Robinson, but I, I just feel like, if you get a significant contribution out of one of the two defensive backs, you've done pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then clearly I think Anai is a little bit of a guy with, with upside, but, but kind of the same thing holds true. You, you, you've drafted another uh, defensive lineman. And then I can't tell you anything about Ben DiNucci, uh, except that it's a good name. 
You like that name? Yeah. He's a pit I guy. Think, and I think if you get four productive players out of the draft in the first year, you've done really, really well. All right, David, what do you think? Well, I mean, Lamb's going to be part of their three wide receiver sets, and, and um, they will go with those quite a bit. Uh, Diggs will step in and start from day one. In fact, I think you can make the argument he is already the team's best corner. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see how that plays out in camp whenever camp is and, and, and what this looks like. But I would anticipate he is their best cover corner right now. Uh, Gallimore is going to be a rotation guy. He's going to be behind Poe. He's going to be behind McCoy. Um, but, you know, Poe's like a one-year deal. McCoy is two years. Uh, well, it can go down to, uh, you know, they're at an age where uh, they, they need rotation guys in there, young rotation guy, and he's there. Um, Reggie Robinson, very intriguing. Uh, you know, McCarthy made the comment after watching tape of him, he didn't understand why Robinson wasn't being mentioned up there with Diggs and all of those guys of that cluster uh, as far as, you know, corners to consider. And um, you look at a, a lot of the more respective, like, draft people, and, and some of them had him rated as high, like, in the mid to late 80s, you know. Uh, and, and several of them had him in their top 100. Those that didn't had him around 110, um, you know, 115. And he was taken at 123. He was taken right about where he should have been taken. Um, but some, I mean, that's kind of raw, developed. He, right now, you project him as the fifth corner. And you say, a fifth corner? Well, that guy doesn't play. Well, fifth corner actually plays a lot. And, uh, but he's going to be more of a special teams guy this first year. Blocked four kicks in college, uh, which certainly they like. Um, Biotic will be given a chance to win the starting center job. Now, right now, it's Joe Looney's, uh, and they won a division and went to the second round of the playoffs the last time Joe Looney was their starting center. Um, but if they can go younger there uh, and, and develop a guy for the future and, and plug him in as a day one starter, uh, I think Biotic has that ability. Uh, and then that allows you to keep Connor McGovern at guard, Connor Williams at guard, and kind of go from there. Um, Bradley and I, again, I think he's going to be, I'm not right now. I don't even know if I project he'll be active every week. Um, you know, I think there's some weeks that they just go, well, no, we don't have a spot for you in this scheme, but then, okay. Our defensive scheme this next week. Yeah, we, we can see him getting in some. So I think he's going to kind of fill that role. Um, Danucci is not going to, he's a guy to develop, but again, I found it interesting, uh, Mike McCarthy, when asked for a comparable on him, said he reminded him a little bit of Mark Bulger. And I don't know if you guys know much about, remember much about Mark Bulger, but you know, he played in the league for 11 years and he was primarily a backup, but he started a fair number of games and wasn't a bad reserve. So uh, if, if he can be anything close to what Mark Bulger was, uh, that's, uh, that's an outstanding seventh round pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you when you mentioned earlier about when you got a new coaching staff, uh, you know, Cooper Rush is uh, – this is a guy who would be really vulnerable to me, you know, sure. uh, with, the, with the head coach comes in. He's got no loyalty to Rush at all. Um, and Rush has almost no numbers, uh, in, in real numbers, because Dak plays every down. So uh, it depends on what he does in practice, but I would think that would be wide open. Yeah, I, I look at this draft, if we're looking at it historically for the Cowboys, to me – 
uh, it's reasonable to think that this could be uh, one of Jerry's best drafts of this century. You know, if you look back at some of the uh, the better ones that he's had, certainly in in 2016, he, that was obviously a great draft. He got both Zeke and Dak in that draft. Um, uh, 2014, when he got at the top of that draft, he got uh, 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 Zach Martin and Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, then you can go back into the earlier 2000s, you know, the Demarcus Ware drafts when they got him and Marcus Spears uh, at the top of that draft, and also some other good players. I think that this. I think that I don't know. You know, it's hard to compare to a draft where you get a Demarcus uh, Ware, who's a Hall of Famer. You know. Or Zach Martin, who's a Hall of Famer. I mean, sure. it's just gonna be it's gonna be really hard to say, oh yeah, this draft is as good as that. How do how do you weigh that? You know, to me, when you're getting a guy who's that good, that makes a real difference on your team. You you know, it, it's kind of it goes to the same principle of of why do you take C.D. Lamb in the first round when you've already got two thousand yard receivers? Well, because he's the best talent, and that's what you're looking for is is a difference making talent. That, that's what you got to have. There's all kinds of guys out there you can get who are replacement level players. You know, that these, these are guys who can do their job, just like we were talking about with Joe Looney. He can do his job, but is he going to be great at it? You know, the guy who's great at it is going to elevate your team. You know, the guy who's just, you know, a perfunctory kind of player, he's just going to keep everything pretty average and an eight and eight. So I, I think that the, I don't know. I do think that C.D. Lamb has Pro Bowl potential. I think that he's the kind of guy that's going to make a real difference in the league. I don't know how many of those other guys are going to be able to do that. Uh, I, I think that uh, I would I would give Trayvon Diggs a, a shot at that because of his size and athleticism and the fact that he just hasn't played a lot of a cornerback. He's already shown he's really good at it in a small sample size. So I think that that's very promising for him. Uh, but I mean, rest, Diggs is the key to this class for the impact this first year. If you're looking yeah, for the impact right. in this coming year, it's Diggs. Because like we said, I mean, Cobb had 800 yards receiving. Uh, and, I, you know, Lamb could be hard-pressed to get to that point, given who you have with Cooper. And uh, but, but, again, I think all three of them, it, that's going to work and, and that'll fit. But uh, they, they have to have Diggs step in and start and be pretty good. And, and if he's not – then this class is not going to have the impact in year one that uh, a lot of people like to think it will right now. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's a good point, David, is that the, the key to the overall draft class is, is Diggs because he is the guy that would address the most significant need. I, I think there's no doubt that they got a really good value in Lamb, um, but, they've get, but Diggs has got to be a, a starting grade cornerback from day one. And, and if he is, you know, you've got two starters right off the bat from your first two rounds. Uh, I think you've done you've done pretty well. Well, especially too, and Kevin, some of the other drafts you mentioned, uh, you you mentioned going back, you know, to 2016, and that was where you got Elliott and Dak Prescott and all that. Well, the difference there is they were drafting fourth, right? And they were at the top of each round. Uh, you go, you mentioned the Demarcus Ware draft, Marcus Spears. That was two first round picks. Right. Uh, to and 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 even when you mentioned like Zach Martin and Demarcus Lawrence, they packaged their second and third to move to the top of the second round to get Demarcus Lawrence. Right. This is a draft where they stayed in place, which is in essence in the middle of every round, and they were able to put together what appears to be an outstanding draft. I think that is remarkably hard to do. I think it's hard to do when you're in the top ten or top five 
for them to be able to do it, and really the only, like I said, the only trade was they bumped, they jumped back into the fourth to get Biotic, uh when they saw him falling. So really only one move up, staying at your spot the rest of the way. You know, th- this is the way Baltimore usually does drafts. They sit there, they don't get fancy, they don't trade around. They go, you know what? We've evaluated these guys. We know we're going to get several good players that will drift to us. Let's just sit here and take who it takes whoever drifts to us. And I think that's what uh, Dallas did in this draft. It was very Baltimore-esque in a lot of ways. Kevin, your thoughts? I agree. Um, I, I, what happened to Kevin? Oh, my God, he's gone. I think it's for the best for all of us. Probably. I, listen, I, I don't want to step way too out of my league here, but, uh, yeah, Baltimore's got a really good record of, of drafting and development of, of, of their players. I was just very impressed overall with how this Cowboys class came together. I felt like you could um, – it looked like there was a plan. It looked like they took advantage of situations. Um, it looked like they, they never got antsy. Uh, it was really good. And, uh, David, I had this question for you. Um, all of this took place with Jerry on his spaceship in the middle of somewhere – um, and I, I, international I, waters, I believe these these were the first players ever selected from international waters. Well, I noticed that you you labeled it international waters, but do we have any idea what part of the globe the yacht was in when he when he made these selections? I can't say for certain, but it was you know it was it was last seen in in Florida in southern Florida, and then let's say went toward the European side of things from there. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely. I don't think it went back to the Gulf of Texas, if, that, if that's your question. I don't think it was off of the coast of Galveston. Yeah, I, I just received a text from Kevin that says there was a power outage at his house. I thought he's been low on power for quite a while, actually. He, he is kind of a low energy. Now he's trying to tie this to the house. I, I thought this was specifically about him, not the house, but... Um, well, I, no, I, I, I was very impressed with the Cowboys draft. I think, um, uh, as I look at it, it's, it's as good a draft class going in as, as, as I can recall. Um, and, and it was given all the challenges involved with this draft, um, and not having people, and maybe that actually helped, right? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. A, a smaller circle and a more direct line and, and, and didn't cloud their thinking. It's interesting, and he, he hasn't gotten specific, but Stephen Jones several times uh, over the weekend during the draft mentioned, I think we've hit on some things here uh, that we're going to continue to use going forward. Like I said, he didn't get specific, but I think certainly the way uh, you break down information and disseminate it uh, compared to how they've done it in the past was, was certainly part of that. And, um, you know, they, uh, the, the due diligence they did and just, you know, I, he was talking about how all, all of the presentations uh, were more concise. And that is one thing technology does. You miss on some like body language cues and some other things. You can't flesh things out, but people usually are more concise. Maybe not us on this podcast, but in general, you find people being more concise. And um, I think that is something they'll use going forward. How, how do you still, next year when, 
when you assume they'll be able to talk to, uh, I don't want to jump out too far, but when you assume they'll be able to bring uh, players back into the facility to, to visit with, how do you incorporate the things you really liked out of an old virtual draft that makes sense going forward? How do you meld those two and get the best of, of both worlds? Yeah, and I think, I think the teams that, that are able to think in that direction and say, okay, let's, let's, let's take a little bit. We've got a little bit of time here because we're not going to mini camp and, and yeah. right away. And okay, let's take some things and review the draft process and figure out what we really liked from this, distill it on paper, and then let's try and, and project that back into a, a traditional environment and see what we can come up with. I think there will be a couple of teams that create something of a, of a competitive advantage for next year um, uh, by doing that. And, and I think the Cowboys have a good blueprint to go, to go from here. And, and for me, again, I think it was, some of it comes down to, uh, I, I know in baseball drafts, you can have every scout in the room and everybody can be passionate and make great arguments. And what it can lead to is over analysis sometimes. And, and I think, I think you spent four months analyzing these guys in depth and, and the last thing you need to do is add some extra steps to that thought process at the very last minute. So um, I, I applaud the Cowboys on this draft. I think it was really good. Um, and, and I think that uh, also our podcast has, has really stepped up here in the last. <laughs> you think that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but we should probably sign off now. We probably should. Evan, do you want to do that? I know you love signing I off. Well, you know, I love having the last word, David. Ah, uh, yes. That's, I, I was trying to think of a more politic way to say it, but yes. I never get it in this house. So, <laughs> um, anyway, for all of us here, um, I have no idea what Kevin feels. But for David and I and Jose, thanks, everybody. We'll, start, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.